Guys, good Tuesday morning. My name is Jerry Miller, and welcome to the Jerry and Jerry Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. It's truly our pleasure to sit in this seat across the table from the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe himself. 40-plus years he's been on the ACC beat, the University of Virginia football beat. Saturday's outcome against James Madison University was an outcome that was extremely tough for me to swallow. Um, someone who bleeds orange and blue, someone who attended the University of Virginia, someone who's been in Charlottesville here for 23 years. It was a lot of emotions. Um, this past Saturday at Scott Stadium. And I was proud of the football team for the large majority of the contest and saw so much promise and potential with Anthony Calandri under center. It looked like um, opportunity and a victory were on the near horizon. Then a rain delay stifles momentum. And I want to ask the expert, Jerry Ratcliffe, about that. Judah Wickhauer is our director. If we can go to the studio camera and welcome the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer to the show. Who do you, we saw a double-digit deficit erased just like that. We saw Calandria's promise erased like that. <coughs> Where would you like to begin, my friend? Well, you're absolutely right. And... Uh, as I said before, we actually came on the air. I, I was as skeptical as, as anyone about Calandria because he's a true freshman and had no real experience, and you didn't know how he would react in a moment like that. I mean, there was it's the largest crowd since uh, since they beat Florida State here in whatever that was, 18 or 19, somewhere around there, 17. Uh, over 50,000 people there. Uh, great crowd, great showing by JMU, great showing by Virginia in terms of turnout. And it was uh, the kind of excuse me, the kind of atmosphere that we used to see here all the time. And it was fun. And uh, certainly it was inspiring, uh, uh, honoring the, the three slain players with the plaques up there in the uh, walk of fame or, or whatever they call that in the uh, end zone where the pergolas are um, honoring their families on the field and uh, great moment um, and, and Calandria surprised me in the fact that he just he played his butt off he, he's uh, got moxie he's got a lot of moxie and he's got a big arm and he's not afraid uh, very confident kid and uh, I, that was some of the better passes I've seen thrown here in at least since 2021 uh, when Ferguson was, was hot. Um, the kid threw for <laughs> 377 yards. I looked it up last night, Jerry, and uh, the top single-game performances by – passing performances by UVA quarterbacks, uh, the top 15 cut off at 379 yards. He was two yards from that and his first start. And uh, of those 15 performances with 379 or more yards, eight of those were by uh, Brendan Armstrong. Uh, did I say Ferguson early? I meant Armstrong. Right, right. Um, we know what you meant. Here's the stat from jerryratcliffe.com. Yeah. I'll read it verbatim. Yeah. The guy's got the best website out there. Um, his Calandria's performance 
Only 15 times in Wahoo history has anyone thrown for more yards in a game. Jerry Ratcliffe reports that on his namesake website. Armstrong did it eight of those 15 times. Kurt did it three times. Verica did it. Schaub did it. Brooks did it. Perkins did it. This guy's in elite company here. In his first game. In his first game. As um, an 18-year-old. Yeah, and he, he, he crushed the freshman passing record by over 125 yards. So uh, he's, he seems to be for real. And uh, I've become an, a Calandria fan. I, I think the, the kid has got a, a bright future here if, he, if they can hold on to him. Because there's going to be people now, particularly down in the south, where he grew up in St. Pete, they're going to be coming after him in the off season. You know, I was going to ask you about that. Uh, you know how tampering is these days in college athletics. So uh, I guarantee you there's going to be some stuff going on behind the scenes with people trying to influence him to transfer out after this year, particularly if Virginia has a bad season. But he, uh, you got to give him a lot of kudos. He was uh, cool in the pocket. Uh, he made some freshman mistakes, but – uh, you expect that, but he didn't let it bother him too much. And uh, we talked to him post game, and he was still very cool, calm, and collected. And I, I think this kid has a bright future somewhere. He, he, I hope it's here, but you, you never know these days. Nat's disciple watching you on Twitter. Ace watching you on Twitter. Your Twitter stream is is blowing up. Um, Wahoo fans, jump in here with questions. This show is dynamic, so you, the viewer and listener, can ask the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer for questions, questions, advice, perspective. Vanessa Parkhill is watching in Earliesville. She's a diehard college football fan. She basically says, help me understand what happened. She said, I've been looking forward to the Jerry and Jerry show and your analysis, Hootie, since Saturday. She said, I was listening to the game on the radio, and then I had a step away before the weather delay, and then I saw they lost the contest. She said, help, it, help me understand what happened and help it make sense. <laughs> I'm not sure I can do that, but I'll give it a, I'll give it a whirl. Uh, I think everybody in the press box was, I wouldn't say stunned, because I, as soon as the... I was stunned. I was not in the press box. I'm a fan. <laughs> as soon as, I, think I was we, stunned. I think the rest of us have seen this, this sort of thing happen so many times before that there was one veteran guy, I won't say who he is, but there was one veteran uh, guy in the press box who said, well, this seems like a story that we've seen before, that uh, Virginia has momentum. Something happens to stop the game, and they find a, a way to lose. Uh, it, it was somewhat unbelievable in the fact that they had reeled off 21 straight points uh, had all the momentum on their side, had stymied pretty much JMU's offense, which had been impressive earlier. And, they, I mean, they had JMU on the ropes. I, I think if there hadn't been a storm delay, I, th I think Virginia would have gone on and rolled to a win, maybe even a blowout. I don't know the way th things were going at that moment. But when the rain came uh, and the lightning and all that, and they were in the locker rooms for over an hour, 
it, it would be interesting to find out exactly what was going on. I, I know what was going on in the JMU locker room because Kurt Signetti talked about how the coaches worked on their heads and on the X's and O's to fix what they could to maybe make some adjustments and change some ways in the way they would attack Virginia on both sides of the ball. And he said, it's as simple as that. I, I told him, you score, you stop them, and you score again, and we win the game. And that's exactly what they did. Nothing complicated. Um, we asked a couple of Virginia coaches about what changed with JMU, and we got no answer. Uh, they they completely dodged the question, and that was somewhat disappointing. And at least they could talk about what what happened from their perspective that that made the game so different in the final 12 minutes. And one thing that. I think has drawn the ire of a lot of Virginia fans. Was, I have a feeling he's going to talk about the cell phones here. Yeah, was that that pissed me off, Hootie? Tony Elliott talked about they were concerned about keeping guys off their cell phones. You think Nick Saban would have said something like that? You, you think they would have had a cell phone problem in their locker room? No. During that span, I, I don't either. I don't think any. Uh, I mean, you, you, it's just. I don't. I don't know. I, I can't explain that. And we should unpack that, and we should unpack it from a number of ways, from an X's and O's, from a leadership, and then from just a media management. This, and I'm trying to be patient here. X's and O's. It's a failure. Media management's a failure. <coughs> you can see I'm emotional here. It just frustrated me. <coughs> Well, even if, even if that's what was going on and players were on their cell phones, they shouldn't have been on their cell phones. And that should have been made clear from the time they walked in. Look, we're going to fix what we've got the momentum on our side. Let's see what we can do. They're going to be making adjustments over there across the hall. What can we expect? What can we do to keep our momentum, et cetera? And maybe that was said. I don't know. I, I, we don't know what happened in the Virginia locker room because they didn't really tell us. And uh, even if it was a cell phone problem, I don't think he should have talked about it. Right. It makes it look like he has no control. There was no control in the locker room. Whether there, there may have been great control in the locker room, we don't know. But it gives the inclination that there was that. Players were doing whatever they wanted and not focused on coming back out and finishing off the job. And if that's the case, then you, you don't tell the media about it. it. It doesn't look good. And, you know, I I don't know. I'm, I'm baffled by the whole thing. I, I, I can't explain exactly to uh, Ms. Parkhill what exactly went wrong. I mean, I, I know what JMU did right, and I know that Virginia couldn't couldn't stop JMU at all. I mean, they went 80 yards twice and scored without a whole lot of resistance, Jerry. And and there were a couple of really bad penalties on Virginia in that process. Um, the winning touchdown, the guy was wide open in the end zone. There was nobody anywhere near him. 
And while JMU went 160 yards for two scores, Virginia's offense had, I think, 36 or 42 yards total offense on their final two possessions and had to punt the ball away and then had to throw a Hail Mary at the end to even try to have a chance. So I don't. I thought Virginia was clearly outcoached those final 12 minutes, and I, I would I would hope that those guys would at least say so. That hey, J, and they congratulated JMU, but they 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 were just clearly outcoached those final 12 minutes of the game. Kevin Yancey and Waynesboro. I hate to be overly critical. No, this I, is I'm, fair. I'm not trying to run Tony Elliott out of town or anything. I hope the guy wins. I, I hope he can turn it around and and everything. But I. They were just they were they were flat out out coached the final twelve minutes of that football game. I think it's important to emphasize this. Anyone in this town wants this football team to win. Yes, we're running a business associated with Virginia football. Our businesses are in better positions if the Virginia football team is successful. Absolutely, and we have fans turn out to the games and watch them and watch and read our stuff. Absolutely, all the businesses in Charlottesville want to see a sellout stadium so they can get the trickle-over effect before and after games of people spending their money at their businesses, the hotels, the restaurants. We all want the, the, the program to be successful. We're not being overly critical. We're being analytical. And I think what we're saying is fair. I mean, Kevin Yancey in Waynesboro is saying any, any attention that is not focused on the game in the locker room is inexcusable. I'm reading from Rob Neal, and Rob, I'll get to your comment here a matter of moments about the tribute, and then he's talking about the focus in the game. I mean, the, the feed is on fire right now, and the comments that are coming in are fans that are really irked. They're very, very irked. Well, they should be irked. The comments are, are, are really focused on the lack of focus coming out of the break. So why don't I ask the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe here, do we attribute this to the momentum just being stifled with the one-hour rain delay, the one-hour plus? Or do we, do, it, do we attribute it to the coaching staff not being able to keep the momentum going out of the delay? I mean, is it the rain, is it the delay, or is it the coaches? Is it both? I think it both to some degree, but it, I think it depends on how you approach it. And I think the JMU coaching staff approached it in the appropriate manner. I can't say that about Virginia because – they just they just looked clueless when it when they came back out. I mean, to give up 160 yards rushing or 160 yards on two drives and with the game on the line. Um, and I know JMU JMU's coaches said they thought that the delay would help them because they felt like they could make adjustments with not only X and O's but psychologically and get their team back in the game and possibly win. We don't know what Virginia's coaches were thinking because they didn't say much about it, and even though they were asked. And um, if the players were unfocused, that that falls on the coaches. They, you can't let your team go in there and just let their minds wander and be on the cell phone or you know whatever. They you got to be sitting there talking about how we're going to win this game. You know, they knew JMU was going to come back with something, maybe even something different. 
that they hadn't seen. And they, they had to be ready, and they just did not look ready. Comments are coming in fast. Let's go to Cully Baggett. He's a developer in the area. Cully Baggett follows his team closely. Cully Baggett says, until UVA allows a new coach to stay in the position for five or six years, they will never build any program of any kind. You cannot expect a new coach to come in and turn a program around with the former coach's players. you got to give the new guy time to have a full recruiting class, come all the way through plus another year or so to really get a feel for a coach and his ability to rebuild a program from the ground up. I'm a builder, and I can, I can ensure you you have a, perfectly, a perfect well built if I don't put the foundation in the ground myself. It's the same principle. But UVA alumni and the donors who fund these positions won't give it enough time. They give a coach two years, and if he doesn't turn around the program around, then they are ready to set him up the road. He says, rebuilding a program takes many years, Cully Baggett says. Also, the UVA fan base is not what it was during the George Welsh era. That's a huge problem for me, Cully Baggett says. When the visiting team has twice as many fans as the home team, you might as well be playing a game on the road in Scott Stadium. It was a sea of purple at the beginning of the game, and it was even more of a sea of purple after the rain delay. That's true. Uh, a lot of the Virginia fans left during the delay and didn't come back, and particularly the students. I mean, the hill was empty. Yeah, it, it had been jam-packed. You couldn't hardly breathe, I don't think, on the hill prior to that. And they all left, and they didn't come back. And uh, most of JMU's fans seemed to stick around. I, I know their band stayed up in the stands even during the storm of was playing, so... Um, I mean, some of what he says is is true, but uh, you know, Virginia gave Al Grove nine years, second longest tenure of any head coach in Virginia history. They gave Mike London six years. They gave Bronco. They did. You know, Bronco was here for six years and wasn't forced to leave. He left on his own. So, <clears throat> I think Virginia has given coaches time. Uh, I'm not sure the administration has been as um, as worked with the coaches as as, as well as some of the fans' uh, expectations. Uh, uh, the administration here messed with Al Groh's coaching staff and Mike London's coaching staff, uh, which really didn't help any. Uh, alienated their relationships with the head coaches. Um, yeah, there was a critical fan base in, in both of those cases. Uh, the administration were, got involved with Bronco and they, his staff. Yeah, they did. And um, I think that's why the main reason Bronco left. Um, so you can't put it all on the fans. I think the administration has been part of the problem in, in that re, in that regards. Uh, I know that some of it was well-intended. They thought that they had answers and were trying to uh, help the coaches. I don't know. It it depends on what side you're on. But uh, the coaches saw it as tampering and interference. The administration saw it as trying to lend a hand. So, uh, But uh, I I think coaches have had time to get the job done. I, I know they were sour on Bronco after that first season when they were 1-10. I mean, my God, they hadn't been that bad since uh, 
George's first year when he took over a, a bankrupt football program. They had a little, some, some pretty talented players, but these guys didn't know how to win. Uh, these guys don't know how to win. And, and I, I was impressed with what the coaches did up until the rain delay. It's not like I'm being critical of the, the entire job they did. I thought they outcoached JMU up until that point. Um, they had JMU on the run. JMU was a, a six-and-a-half-point favorite, and a lot of people, as particularly JMU people, as we saw on our show last week, thought they went big. Thought it would be a blowout. A blowout. Right. Uh, I, th- I predicted on another podcast this week that it would go into the fourth quarter. I didn't think it would go down to the wire, but uh, the feed's on fire right now. Virginia, Virginia outplayed JMU up until that point, and that's what was so disappointing was just to let let it off the hook so easily with with just looking totally unfocused when they came back out. Uh, viewers and listeners, offer perspective. Put it in the social media channels you're watching on. A relay at live on air. Doug Wright is giving hootie props on Twitter. Jeremy Hancock giving hootie props on Twitter. Eight different states watching us literally right now on the Jerry and Jerry show. Joe Miller says this on Facebook. Um, RMC events told the fans as they were leaving the stadium there would be no re-entry. A lot of Virginia fans were told there would be no re-entry as really? they were leaving the stadium. RMC said that. This is according to Joe Miller on Facebook. That's, that's baffling. Joe Miller also says on Facebook. They, they were, were told to leave the stadium. They were told to leave the stadium and that there would be no re-entry. RMC events. That's according to Joe Miller on Facebook. He also says in the comment section on one of the 15 Facebook pages this show is airing upon that um, they shut the hill down after the uh, rain delay. So that could be why it was completely empty. Chad Wood, Western Almoral's finest, says, fair weather fans is not the issue. There's so much to do on a fall Saturday morning in Charlottesville. People are not going to sacrifice those, fan, those, plans, those plans to watch a bad product. Sorry, but it's true. I got uh, the fantastic uh, squash professional Stephen O'Dwyer watching the program right now. Stephen, we love when you watch the show. You got the TV station down the street watching you right now, Hootie Ratcliffe. Viewers and listeners, your thoughts on this. I mean, how about this comment that's come in? This is on, I see this comment on six different pages. Why would Tony Elliott not name Calandria the starter for this football team? Well, let, let me address the other thing that, that Joe brought up first. That, that's shocking to me that they would say no re-entry to the stadium. I, I just, that's mind-boggling. Now, do you, you don't want your fans to come back in? Uh, I mean, we we gave out every update on Twitter that UVA gave us that the game would start, uh, the fans could come back in at 4 o'clock, that the game would start at 4.10, and, and both of those were accurate. Um I know they were told to leave the stadium. I had no idea that they told them they couldn't reenter. That makes no sense to me. But uh, even if they closed the hill down, there were plenty of seats in the stadium for people to, to come back in if they were allowed in. If, if they didn't allow them back in, that's just, that's just stupid. Uh, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, you, you can't do that. Um, getting on to the, the quarterback thing, that's not unusual uh, not losing your job if you're injured. Yeah, I mean, most of the coaches I know 
and have known over my career, George Welsh included, Al Groh included, uh, Nick Saban included, uh, Dabo Sweeney included, all these guys. You, you don't lose your job to injury. Um, if you were the starter, not just a quarterback, but any position, and you're good enough to start and you won that position in outright competition and practice, you're the starter, it's your job. If you get hurt, it's not your fault. You come back, you start again. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, however, if the starter doesn't perform well and the backup is better at any position, then usually they're on a short leash and the backup gets the playing time. And I would expect that's the same this week at Maryland. If Tony Musket can play, don't we, st- we won't know his status until this afternoon at Tony Elliott's press conference. Um, we'll have that all on jerryratcliffe.com later in the afternoon. But if he's able to play, he'll start. If he's not playing well, I would expect them to a quick hook, a quick hook, and get Calandria in there because the guy can move the football, and that is what this offense needs: is somebody who can move the chains. And they didn't do that much last year. Didn't do it a whole lot the year before with another quarterback. Um, so um, we got to emphasize this. Anyone I mean, that's, that's, that's watching just that's just football. That's just football. Anyone who's watching this program, there's nobody that wants this football team to win more than the Jerry and Jerry Show. We're yeah. covering a football program, and and the Jerry and Jerry Show. His website, JerryRatcliffe.com is tied to engagement from the fan base. Absolutely. And what sport drives more fan base engagement than football? We want this program to do well because if the program does well, his media empire does well. The show does well. We want the program to do well. We need to emphasize that. It's not doom and gloom. It's fair analysis right here. And I'm going to tell you, I can't even keep up with the comments right here Folks oh, yeah. asking about Tony Elliott. Yeah, Arian Rodgers last night. Uh, the Achilles. That might be. The- I mean, if it wasn't his Achilles, but it was something less. And would you expect him to lose his starting job to Zach Wilson if he was ready to play next Absolutely week? Absolutely I don't think so. I don't think so. And, and, and thoughts and prayers to Aaron Rodgers. Um, it does look like the Jets have lost a, a Hall of Famer here with an Achilles injury. And you wonder if this guy's going to be able to come back at this point of his football career. It's a tough injury. That's a tough injury here. Um, Maryland, I'll give you some facts and then get out of your way here, Hootie. you got a nationally televised ball game on Friday night, Fox Sports 1. we got a 7 p.m. kickoff. The Terrapins are 2-0. Maryland is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 49 points. This is a real good football team right here. These are two teams that recruit somewhat the same territory. Virginia, again, is going to be on national TV. I mean, Maryland's going to look to stop the run, say, beat us in the air. Yeah. I would imagine Musket, if he can play, as you've indicated, is going to be the guy who starts. We'll see if it is a quick hook. We'll find out later. 
um, today, if Muscat's going to play or not at Elliott's press conference, as you've highlighted. Where do you want to start with a pretty good football team right here with the Terrapins? Well, we don't know how good Maryland is. They're 2-0, but they've beaten Towson and Charlotte. If Virginia had played Towson and Charlotte, I think Virginia would probably be 2-0. So I can't get overly excited about the Terps. They do play at home. They do have a veteran quarterback in uh, Tagovailoa. The Miami uh, Dolphins' brother. Miami Dolphins' quarterback brother. Quarterback brother. He he came there with the uh, former Alabama offensive coordinator, to, who's now the head coach. Uh, he he was 25 of 36 against Charlotte for 287 yards. They have a good running back in Roman Hem, Hemby, who ran for 162 yards. Um, Charlotte passed for nearly 200 yards on Terps secondary. Um, we don't know how good Maryland is. Uh, certainly Maryland is a two-touchdown favorite, and uh, they're at home. Uh, Bird Stadium, well, I think they've changed the name to some commercial company, but um, I, I remember going to games there for decades, and it was not a great atmosphere. It was not uh, really a strong home field advantage because – their attendance wasn't always great. I don't, I don't know what it's like now uh, since they left the ACC. But uh, the fact that they're playing a border war against an old rival, uh, against an ACC team, um, I imagine there'll be quite a few Virginia fans there. It's a short trip. Hope so. Uh, a lot of Virginia fans in that area of the country. Um they could use all the support they can get. I'm sure of that. Uh, I, I don't know what Maryland's been drawing. Uh, and I don't know what their atmosphere is like these days, but um, I wouldn't think it would be an intimidating atmosphere like going to some rival stadiums, certainly not like Nashville. Uh, so, you know, if Virginia plays well, I, I think they can make a game of it. I, I don't. I don't see this as being a blowout unless they just come out and lay an egg like they did after the rain delay the other day if they're just not prepared to play. And if they uh, if they played like they did the first 48 minutes Saturday, I, th- I think they have a chance to at least make it competitive. That would be my guess. This question's come in from Leslie. She's watching the program outside Nashville. Leslie, I believe in previous programs you said you were a 2006 UVA graduate. Can you let me know what year you graduated from UVA? I'll give you some props on the program. She says, look at the schedule, boys. Show me how this football team wins two games the rest of the year. Well, it's not going to be easy. We, when we knew that from the get-go. Uh, 2006, she says. She's a 2006 graduate of UVA. Oh, okay. Uh, 2006, that was the Al Grow era. Um, well, we said before the season that Vegas put a three, three and a half over under on wins for the season, and most people couldn't figure out where three and a half wins would come from. I couldn't. I thought they would have chances against JMU, and they did. I Chad Wood says William & Mary and maybe Georgia Tech. And, and possibly Boston College. BC is not uh, – they're struggling just like Virginia, and they – I don't even – I know they were – Back and forth with Holy Cross this weekend. I I think 
BC might have pulled it out at the end. I never saw a final score on that, but uh, they lost to Northern Illinois in the opener. So uh, BC is a possibility. It's on the road. Which they beat Holy help. Cross 31-28. Okay. Uh, it's on the road. That doesn't help any, but it, it's a, a winnable game. William & Mary is a winnable game. Georgia Tech could be a winnable game, depending on how their season goes. Uh, other than that, um, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't see another win unless something bizarre happens, or unless maybe Calandria catches fire and becomes a starter and throws for four hundred and some yards a game. This question is coming from Jennifer. Jennifer's watching in Richmond at her law firm right now. She says, if the team is not expected to win two games or more the rest of the year, why wouldn't they go with Calandria and ride or die and see if he's the future? It's a hell of a comment. Well, Musket has another year remaining as well, and we still really haven't seen what he can do. I, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to judge him after that Tennessee game because – Virginia won't face another defense like that this season anywhere. Uh, we're talking about a top ten football team in Tennessee who has designs on playing in the SEC championship game. They had a ferocious front seven, and they blitzed a lot. And you know, they were going up in musket, you know, all fairness to him. Uh, he probably saw things that day that he's never seen in his career. For sure. And he was under duress the entire football game, and it led to his injury. Um, I don't think it'll be that way at Maryland. They won't see those kind of athletes and may not see that kind of pressure either. So, The follow-up question. I, I, think, I think you've got to give him a chance before you totally write him off. I, you know, I like Calandria. Uh, he has proven to me that he they can win with him. Um uh, or at least compete with him. Musket still has to prove that. Follow-up question on Musket is how healthy is Musket? Multiple people asking that. Uh, he could have been played against JMU in an emergency. In other words, had Calandria gone down, um, I don't know if uh, the Broster House kid, if I know he was the backup. He'd never, never played any before either. Uh, I know they were going to use him if necessary and if uh, maybe if he had gotten hurt or just couldn't perform then they were they could have gone to musket so apparently his he'd made progress during the week in his range of motion and his shoulder um i'd be surprised if he's not healthy enough to play this week so i, th I think he probably will play and probably will start uh this one's from nathan uh, who's watching in Buckhead, Georgia, uh, can – he doesn't like Mr. Ratcliffe. It's either Hootie, Hoots, or Jerry for the please. viewers and listeners. Please. He said uh, – and I'll add Hootie here. Can Hootie expand on the comments that he had at the beginning of the show where Calandria continues to play good football that he may start appealing to some of these SEC programs? Well, not necessarily just SEC. I mean, there's a lot of other – Schools down in Florida that play FBS football, Florida Atlantic, uh, not just Florida State or Florida or Miami, but the South Florida, Central Florida. Um, uh, 
Florida International. Uh, there's some other schools down in Georgia and Alabama and, and places like that that uh, they're always looking for another quarterback. So uh, not just totally SEC, but uh, in, in modern football, and we've seen it and heard stories about it from the Wake Forest and Matt Brown at Carolina and, and uh, all over the country that coaches are tampering, poaching other programs. And if they're not doing it, they're getting it, they're getting other people to do the work for them to fill out quarterbacks or other players at other schools. You know, if we give you an NIL deal, will you come play for us next season? Uh, if, if things go south for Virginia and, and they don't win many more or, or any games, he might think he can go somewhere else and win. And, uh, you know, I'm not speaking for the kid. He may love it here. He may stick here for his entire career, and I, I hope he does. But the reality of modern-day college football is if uh, and, you know, players want to go where they can win. And if, if he sees he can go back home or somewhere near home and get paid a, a handsome amount of money and be in a winning football team and go to bowl games, it's a big temptation. So uh, I'm not saying he will transfer, although there's already people talking about that. I'm just saying don't be shocked if something like that happens. This is a hell of a question from Wayne's, one of Waynesboro's finest, Kevin Yancey. How in, the, how in the span of three years has UVA gone from a Heisman-caliber quarterback to an almost vacant quarterback room? Well, it's recruiting. and I wouldn't call it vacant. There's upside with Calandra, but I get the point he's making here. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, first of all, I don't think they felt like that Brennan Armstrong would leave. And they didn't think Jay Wolfuck – well, they probably should have thought Jay Wolfuck would have focused on baseball. Yeah. We saw that coming. Yeah. And, and, you know, we still don't know what kind of quarterback Jay Wolfuck would have been. Uh, we saw him very little. I thought last year they should have prepared him, given him more playing time for, for this season uh, to see what he can do and, and get him ready for this year because we all knew that Brennan Armstrong wanted to go to the NFL. I didn't think he was going to go to the NFL. I've talked to some pro scouts who never thought that would happen either. And <clears throat> so – they they just they haven't done a great job of bringing in uh, quarterbacks to that position. It's a recruiting failure, uh, somewhat on Broncos' part and somewhat on Tony Elliott's part because there's just not a lot of guys in in that quarterback room that would be recruited anywhere else. Um, Stephanie Wells Rhodes, her family has season tickets, has had season tickets. Stephanie, how long? Decades? The Interstate Service Company family, ISC. Great people. Um, our father, Greg Wells, bleeds orange and blue. Yes, she says, he does. He does. <laughs> he, he, He's one of the most loyal guys I, I know out there. Through thick and through. Um, I first met Mr. Wells when he was a uh, – when I was working for you at the Daily Progress, and I was covering American Legion baseball. Mike Maynard was the head coach of the, the older team, 
and Mr. Wells was coaching the the younger team. Oh, okay. Uh, she says the transfer portal scares the scares me to death. How do we even build a team with this transfer portal? It's tough, and I know the NCAA is trying to clamp down a little bit on the portal. I don't know how much their hands are tied, but uh, it is a scary thing. It's uncharted territory that I guess none of us ever thought we would see. Uh, you could transfer once during your college career, and you would have to sit out a year in most cases. Then came along the idea of letting guys who had graduated from a school, they could transfer out and play their final year of eligibility somewhere else. And then the door just completely burst open and you can transfer, it seems like, as much as you want. There's one, there was a guy the other day, Jerry, on some game I was watching, who was in his seventh year of college football. That hasn't happened since back in the days of... Uh, That's legitimately a man playing World against kids. War, after World War II yeah. when people were jumping from one school to the other to the other. So uh, it, it's 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 the wild, wild west. I've heard that uh, expression used time and again, and it's true because until they get a handle on it, it it's scary. I, you know... Not just for football, but for any sport. And basketball's even crazier, um, considering the proportion of players to the um, number of transfers. And uh, we saw in basketball last year, Jerry, when uh, was it Kansas State, who had so many players leave through the transfer portal that they had nobody left on their roster at the end of the transfer portal completely rebuilt their team through the transfer portal and ended up in the, uh, was it the Elite Eight or maybe even, I can't remember. They went the, deep. They, they went deep. Uh, uh, I, saw I mean, look at what Primetime did, what Dion's done at Colorado. Uh, brought in 80, what, 81 new players? Yeah. And, and, and they're 2-0. and They're 2-0. And, and uh, that – that shows you right there that it, it's a completely different world, and you can completely rebuild your team if you know what you're doing. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to run some people off, but and most coaches aren't beyond that. So I saw a, a great quote that Paul Feinbaum put out uh, the other day from somebody, and I can't remember who the guy was to attribute it to, but uh, he essentially said that, High school recruiting is now your floor, your base, but the transfer portal is your ceiling, how you manage it. So uh, high school football, you, you can you can build, still build your teams that way, but for if you really want to make your program excel, you have to succeed in a transfer portal until the existing rules change. So uh, it's a it's a whole new world, and yeah, yeah uh, you're not the only one scared of the transfer portal. Coaches are terrified of the transfer portal. And she said her family has had season tickets for more than 50 years, five awesome. generations. That's awesome. That is awesome. That's what we love. We we love hearing stories like that, Stephanie. Uh, multiple or people are saying they need to work the transfer portal. There's challenges for UVA working the transfer portal with the academic criteria. Where do you want to go with that one? Uh, there, that, that is, that shrinks their pool, uh, no question about it. It shrinks their entire recruiting pool. Uh, 
not only high school, but the transfer portal. Uh, the NIL is an issue. Are we behind well. on the NIL? Oh, without question. Can you put that in perspective, how I, behind? I, I, I'll try. Um, we don't know the numbers. We know that Virginia is one of the schools that has decided not to – I mean, they do have NIL deals. I don't think there's anything for freshmen at all um, in terms of monet, monetary gains, but I think they teach them things on how to invest money and stuff like that. But um, to induce a player to, through the NIL, uh, that's not something Virginia's into. And – I don't know if that's going to change now that they brought in, they announced yesterday, uh, bringing in Wally Walker, who's one of my favorite people of all time, and he's into uh, look at, at every phase of, of finances and NIL and fundraising and all that stuff, and He's a he's a game changer. Wally Walker is. I, I don't know if Virginia will change their philosophy, but they need to examine it and see where they're behind or, or how they're getting beat uh, for players, beaten for players. They also brought in a new director of the Virginia Athletics Foundation, a, a, a guy from Georgia who was a big fundraiser for the Bulldogs. Um, so we'll see how all that uh, interaction may change things. It may not change anything at all. But, uh, you know, in terms of a lot of schools, they're way behind. Uh, I don't know that they will change. Uh, that's just not how they do business. Maybe that'll change. I don't. I, I can't predict that because I don't know. Warrior AG Albert Graves, Virginia Tech fan, is chiming in. We appreciate your comments here, Albert Graves. He says... UVA has an out-of-control locker room where cell phones are prevalent, evidently. That's an issue during the weather delay. It equates to a coach who has no control over the program. And frankly, this seems to be a topic the AD should be focused upon. He also says, why did Bronco leave this team? He had them headed in the right direction. If Bronco's there, these issues do not manifest. And then he said that seventh-year player was playing quarterback for JMU. <laughs> really? Okay. I, I, I thought, well, it must be another one out there because it was not the JMU guy I was talking about. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that the locker room's out of control. I think that's a, a little harsh. But uh, it, it's an issue that has to be dealt with, and I, I imagine that it has been dealt with by now. Uh, Bronco left for a variety of reasons, and I, I think, one, he was suffering from some burnout. Um, been coaching for 40-some years, and I think COVID had an impact on him. Uh, I know he took that extremely seriously. Virginia went to greater lengths, I think, than any school in the country in trying to keep its players safe and, and staff safe. Uh, I think they did a marvelous job with the UVA doctors. Um, Dr. John McKnight was uh, in charge of the ACC panel of experts on containing COVID. And as great of work as he did, 
uh, people still got COVID. It was just unavoidable. And uh, so I, I think that had a, a mental burnout aspect on what Bronco went through. But I think the bottom line was when the defense fell apart, prevented them from having a winning season, back-to-back, um, was one of the worst defenses in the country and fell under uh, – extreme criticism from the fan base and from media. I think he was told that he had to replace, make a change, a defensive coordinator. And what people don't understand about that coaching staff, uh, which was mostly Mormon, they followed him clear across the country to Charlottesville. These guys were a lot closer knit than uh, your normal coaching staff. They were like brothers. And he just didn't have the stomach to fire his guy. At first, I think he agreed to it. And then uh, I think the more he thought about it, the more it wore on him, and he just didn't want to do it. And I think he felt it would be better for him to step away than to fire somebody that he had so much love and respect for. And and uh, I, I think that's the bottom. I don't know that that story will ever completely come out and be confirmed, but I've got it from solid sources that that was what happened. Jordan McLeod, the quarterback of JMU, turns 24 in November. The brother of Ray Ray McLeod. Yes, I mean, younger brother. This is literally a, a grown man. And he's uh, and he played well. I thought he played great. I'll give him a lot of credit, particularly yeah. uh, after the storm delay. He was fantastic, and uh, kudos to him and the JMU team, they earned what they got. Uh, they could have folded the tent, giving up 21 straight points. They could have folded it up and said, it's just not our day. Um, instead, they got their heads right in the locker room, got coached up well, and came back out and did what they had to do. And I admire the heck out of that. Do you? Uh, multiple people are asking you to characterize the warmth of the seat that Coach Elliott is sitting upon. Well, I don't, I don't think he's in any jeopardy of losing his job at this point because he's just into his uh, 12th game. Well, this will be his 13th game of his career here. Uh, the comparisons are being made to the Duke head coach. Well, that's, that's – uh, I, I, I can't blame people for that because Mike Elko was one of the finalists for the job, and – what he's done at Duke has been unbelievable. He was ACC Coach of the Year last year. I, he took over a program that I thought had less talent than Virginia and won nine games last year plus a bowl game. Uh, they're off to a fantastic start. And uh, one of the questions in my mind is, Duke, Duke's offensive lineman hasn't given up a sack this year. Uh if Duke can put together an offensive line and they have academic uh, standards standards as well, if Duke can put together a solid offensive line, there why can't Virginia? There it is. Uh, Virginia's given up eight sacks already this year. And um, let me put on my reading glasses, my readers here. Another one is Wake Forest 2-0. and They have uh, allowed eight sacks. Uh, which is number 125 in the nation out of 132 teams. 
They have given up 21 tackles for loss. That's tackles behind the line of scrimmage, uh, which is 131 in the nation out of 132 teams. Uh, we knew this offensive line was going to be inexperienced and uh, on-the-job training, but, I mean, this is atrocious. You, you can't win with an offensive line giving up uh, tackles for loss and sacks at that rate. You just you can't. Uh, if you do, you, you have to do something remarkable uh, in, in yards gained to make up for it. Uh, Mark Lickman, friend of the program. Love Mark Lickman. Good people. Um, Mark Lickman says this. He was a, he's a diehard Eagles fan, Mark Lickman. He's yes, one, of the he best, <laughs> one of the best PR guys in the business, fantastic tennis player, a champion of Stable, stable Craft Brewing Company. Mark, this is what we should do. Stable Craft Brewing and the Jerry and Jerry Show. Let's get Stable Craft Brewing as one of the partners of the Jerry and Jerry Show. I like that. And we will drive all these boatloads of people that are watching this program to the brewery that you're representing, sir. Stable Craft Brewery and the Jerry and Jerry Show. Let's make that happen. Come on, Glick. Let's, let's talk it over over a beer. Let's make, <laughs> let's make that happen. We can have the beers on the table right here. Mark Lickman says this. I was hopeful that when Tony Elliott recruited his own players... He could turn things around. But I've had coaches that preach discipline and fundamentals that no one on the team would ever contemplate grabbing their own phone during a game for fear of bearing the wrath of the coach and letting their teammates down. Glickman says, now I'm very concerned about Elliott in this locker room, but I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt for now because he walked into a difficult and traumatic situation in Charlottesville. This is a question. This is a fair question. No, okay. it's very fair, and and uh, good points on both sides of the of the question. Does the benefit of the doubt? But he's right. I I have. Uh, we didn't have cell phones in my days, but if we had, I had. I played for coaches that if you had a, a cell phone out uh, during halftime or a storm delay, you might not play again. Right, you'd be off uh, the team. I remember walking into a locker room when we were getting the crap beat out of us at halftime and they used to lay out these little little bottles of coke for the players to drink at halftime and one of my uh, teammates as soon as he came through the door was more uh, occupied with grabbing a coke than he was anything else and the coach was so hacked off that he grabbed one of the coke bottles and threw it the length of the locker room and barely missed a uh, mirror the uh, the size of the entire wall over here. I mean, Hootie, this has happened. Uh, the coaches don't put up with that kind of crap. This has happened in Charlottesville at UVA. Dave Lato, when the basketball team played horribly, made the players change in a hallway. Remember? Yes, I do remember that. Coach Lato, he wouldn't even allow them the opportunity to change out of their basketball uniforms and into their streetwear in the locker room, and he screamed at them, you don't deserve that luxury. Yes, I, and I've seen uh, you were cu- you covered the team. I've seen coaches um, make their teams practice after they get back from a road trip in the middle of the night because they didn't like their attitude. I've seen uh, them run and run and run until they throw up. I've s- seen a coach uh, not happy with 
one player's attitude after a loss and uh, nearly choked him on the bus. Uh, most players are fearful of drawing that kind of wrath from their head coach. And I, I again, I wasn't in the locker room. I, I didn't. We didn't talk to anybody about that after in the post game. Um, Tony Elliott brought that up on his own. We don't know how bad it was. Maybe it's not as bad as it's being perceived. And maybe it's worse. I don't know. We don't know. But uh, I, I just I, I can't imagine coaches allowing the players to even get on the cell phone in the locker room during a break. I, uh, I, I just usually uh, you go in, you go you go to your uh, meeting groups with your position coaches or your coordinators, and they talk about what's and, and I know you can't talk for a complete hour and a half, but. Uh, at some point, and you may, maybe you get all your points across, and then you say, "Well, if you need to contact your family or something," and you know that's one thing. But to, to be on your cell phone, looking up stuff or or chatting with people, I, you know, I, I don't know if that's what was going on or not. But I, I just can't imagine that happening for the length of a storm delay in the locker room or, or even for a good portion of it. Mark Lickman says, send them the stuff and we'll see if we can work it out. Yeah. We absolutely will. We'll do that. We will do that, Mark. Rob Neal watching the program. Respect to UVA and the UVA community for the beautiful tribute to the fallen. This is Rob Neal's words here. It was a beautiful tribute. Yes, it was. He said, I said last week on your program, that JMU knows how to win football games and overcome adversity. And I was curious to see what would happen when adversity occurred and the rain delay was adversity. He said this was the stat of the ball game for him. Rob Neal's words. 15 yards rushing for the Wahoos all game long. Then he says we should run this football game back every four years and go Dukes. Well, uh, good points there. Um... Certainly they did respond to adversity, and that's part of knowing how to win. And uh, he did, I remember him pointing that out last week, and I, I remember uh, saying that this Virginia football team doesn't know how to win, and maybe Saturday was a product of that, that they didn't know how to deal with some adversity and, and didn't know how to win. Uh, George Welsh was the first coach that I ever heard talk about that he said this when he came here he said this team doesn't know how to win and he was right and he taught them how to win and it doesn't happen overnight maybe Tony Elliott can teach these guys how to win um, Saturday certainly wasn't a very good example of that but uh, I had to, again hats off to the Dukes for being able to overcome I mean, they – again, I think if the storm delay hadn't come – Virginia wins that ball game. Virginia wins the game by two touchdowns or maybe more. They had JMU reeling, and I don't think JMU had an answer for it. 100% agree. But uh, that's the difference in knowing how to win and not knowing how to win. And he's right about the running game. Virginia has struggled for – Years with the running game. Their leading rusher 
during the Perkins and, and uh, Armstrong era. Were the quarterbacks. Was the quarterbacks. And that was partly on purpose because uh, Broncos terminology for quarterback was Thorderback, as in Thor, the mythical character, somebody who could do everything. And that's what Perkins and Armstrong could do. Uh, they don't have quarterbacks like that now. And the offensive line, uh, again, I'll go back to my readers, but Virginia is uh, number 120, uh, I think, yeah, 123 in the nation out of 132 teams in rushing. Oh, no, that's rushing defense. I'm sorry. Offensive uh, offense. They're uh, 124 in rushing offense out of 132 teams. 56 yards a game, Jerry. 1.51 yards per carry. Uh, that means if you run the ball three times, you know, with a 1.51 average, you're not going to get it done. 56, you're not going to beat anybody rushing for 56 yards a game. Now, some of that is sack yardage. Uh, because they don't college football puts sack yardage into the rushing offense as opposed to the NFL, but um, that just again speaks loudly to the offensive line. They've got the running backs. Uh, we saw what Mike Collins can do when he gets a hole. Uh, he had two great touchdown runs. Paris Jones had a couple of nice runs. Uh, Kobe Pace had a couple of nice runs. But uh, they can't consistently do that. And uh, Des Kitchens and Tony Elliott talk about how they want to run a balanced offense. And right now it's not balanced at all. I mean, when you throw for 377 and rush for less than 10 yards total offense, uh, the other team has you by the... You know what? You know what? And... um, they, that allows them to put more pressure on your quarterback or, or drop more people into coverage or whatever they decide to do with it. But if you can't run the football and you can't control the line of scrimmage, you can't control the game. You, you just can't. AG has this comment. Mark Lickman, you'll appreciate this comment as well. He says, Tony Elliott speaking to the press conference reminds me a lot of Ron Rivera speaking to the media. The PR training is not there. AG says some things are left in-house and should not be made uh, exposed to the public. He's talking about the cell phone comment. And we started the program, for those that are just tuning in, the cell phone comment is irritating a lot of people. I mean, you saw it. You see it with your fan base. I've I've been uh, inundated, right? Inundated with that on Twitter and email. No question. Whether... And I, you know, I started the program with, what's the bigger issue? The fact that he told the world that the guys are on the cell phone or that the guys are actually on their cell phone? Well, yeah. I mean, he could have avoided a lot of criticism That's by a, keeping it to himself. Right. Uh, he's a, a young head coach, first year. Uh, came from Dabo, and Dabo sometimes uh, maybe talks too much. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, sometimes you can say more than you should. And uh, certainly he has caused a little bit of a firestorm with 
revealing that that's what went on. Uh, uh, the, it was certainly a problem for that to happen, but a bigger problem to let fans know that it happened because after a loss, when you lose when you lose a game like that and it appears you've lost focus, um, that falls right back on the coach, and there it is. Nobody else to blame. There it is. Players are going to do what players are going to do. You gotta, you gotta have the discipline or whatever to say. Uh, I don't. You come in the locker room, say I don't want anybody on the cell phones. I will, listen up. This is what we're going to do. And uh, I'm just, I'm just surprised that that happened. Uh, may, I know the world has changed and players have changed. But winning football and, and the way you approach it has not changed. Jerry Ratcliffe dropping dimes today. Five minutes. I want to cover the ACC here. What struck you from the Atlantic Coast Conference week two? I'm going to highlight a couple things I'm seeing here from looking at the standings. Duke football is 2-0 overall and 1-0 in ACC play. Louisville's 2-0 overall, 1-0 in ACC play. Florida State looks pretty damn good right now. Yes. Miami Hurricanes are unblemished at 2-0. And they look like they have a lot of athletes all over the football field. And it's making me wax nostalgic of when I was growing up in, 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 in Naples, Florida, where NFL talent was all over, all over the U. North Carolina, something in that matchup against Appalachian State, that football <laughs> game is always a tight contest. Yes. Their quarterback showed a lot of moxie there. Clemson, you got a lot of boo birds out there with Dabo. They're 1-1, one 0-1 one, oh in conference play. And I hate to say this right now, UVA is dead last. The only winless football team in the Atlantic Coast Conference is UVA 0-2 oh on the season. Virginia Tech 1-1, 0-0 one one, oh oh in conference play. Hootie, the show is yours. Well, uh, Mac Brown said it. After he played Appalachian State for another uh, barn burner, uh, he says, I've had enough. And I can't said, blame him. People <laughs> said, uh, you should play Appalachian State every year. He said, I, I think, he says, you know, Appalachian State is a great program, and I think NC State and Duke should play yeah. <laughs> Appalachian State every year. Uh, he wants no part of Appalachian State. Don't ever look for, as long as he's the head coach, and maybe even beyond, don't ever look for North Carolina to play Appy State again. Uh, Virginia might be thinking that about JMU. I don't know. And yep. Virginia Tech might be too. I don't, I'm not sure. But um, Miami, uh, I, you know, I've been down on their program <laughs> and, and Mario Cristobal, but uh, it's, it looks like they have finally collected enough great recruits down there and transfer portal guys to – they make a difference, and they beat the tar out of Texas A&M this weekend, and that was a big win for the ACC. People are down on ACC football. Well, ACC's been kicking a lot of SEC butt, um, and uh, it, it looks, you know, ACC's going to look completely different to the rest of the college football world if Florida State and Miami get back to uh, some sort of prominence again, like we saw back early in the days. Uh, both those programs look like they're headed upward. Carolina, pretty solid. Their defense is better, but I'm still not sure it's uh, going to be able to 
win a big game against a, a really good team. Uh, that South Carolina team doesn't seem to be as good as we thought it was going to be that Carolina beat in the opening week. Um, Who's the best team in the conference? It's Florida State, no question. Um, Duke is looking good. Um, they have a play, they play a tough schedule, so it's going to be hard for them to uh, go unscathed uh, playing really good teams. We'll see when they start running into some of those. Uh, they did beat a solid Clemson team, and Clemson – I wouldn't uh, count Dabo out at this point because I, I don't know if anybody else in the league is going to beat him. Um, but when you build a, pro a program to the where you're going to the college football playoffs every year, and it was a little easier then because he didn't have much resistance in the conference. Uh, there's, the conference has gotten better. Um, when you build that kind of success, if you falter just a little bit, people are going to be all over you. I don't care what fan base it is. If if Nick Saban loses uh, another game in the next couple of weeks, the Alabama fans are going to be all over him, and uh, he might be the greatest coach in our in our uh, this part of our lifetime. But um, uh, I, I'd say those teams are. are are the ones right now that have all the momentum and are all the success. I'm not sold on Louisville yet. Uh, NC State, I've, I've heard they might even have a quarterback change there after that lopsided loss to Notre Dame that Armstrong did not look good in that game. I didn't see the game. Uh, that's just what I've read. And, um, yeah, right now Virginia is the only winless team in, in the league and, uh, uh, it, it could come down to Virginia and Boston College for the seller in, in the ACC. Jerry Ratcliffe, guys. His website, jerryratcliffe.com. I'll say it loud. I'll say it proud. jerryratcliffe.com. I'm on his website every single day. Viewers and listeners, your source for news when it comes to Virginia football, jerryratcliffe.com. thought you were fantastic today. I really appreciate you helping uh, carry the load today, Hootie, with my voice uh, not at 100%. Viewers and listeners that are watching this program, you guys make this show special. I love reading the questions and comments, throwing them to Hootie and getting his response. We uh, love your questions. It's a very knowledgeable audience, and we appreciate that. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Hootie, some closing thoughts for, for your fans, your viewers and listeners. Well, uh, switching gears just a little bit, this is a, a, a really big week coming up for Virginia basketball in the fact that their prize number one recruiting target, Con Knupel from Milwaukee, I think uh, I think it's Milwaukee, uh, will be visiting here, I think, Thursday and Friday, I believe. He's making a bunch of it. I guess he's, he must not be in school this week because he was at Alabama this past weekend. School has, has sure changed. <laughs> I think he's going to uh, Wisconsin and maybe Marquette, Marquette today and, and yesterday. Uh, he's coming to Virginia on, I think, Thursday and Friday and then headed to Duke. Uh, it's his second visit to Virginia, and I know they're rolling out the red carpet for this guy. Uh, he is perhaps the key recruit to their future. 
personally, I think if they get him, they're back in the Final Four. Wow. At least, at least once during his time here. I think he's the kind of J.J. Redick shooter-scorer that uh, – but I think he's a better overall player than J.J. Redick. Wow. He's got more game than just sitting outside and shooting threes over screens. He can play. Um, he, I think he's a, a must recruit, and, I, and I, I wrote in a story this past week that got thousands and thousands of hits – uh, that uh, according to uh, one inside recruiting source who told the Wisconsin uh, Badger newsletter that Tony Bennett, uh, maybe more than any recruit that he's gone after in his time at Virginia, is using every contact under the sun pulling out every stop imaginable to land this guy. That's how important he, that Tony Bennett believes he is. So he'll be here. It's a shame he's not here for a weekend football game so fans could maybe try to find a way to impress him. But huge visit this week, Jerry. And uh, I can't. I, this guy, is, I've, I've seen film of him. He can shoot the eyes out of it. And uh, he's a kid that... He doesn't even care about I, – I, I think he's a guy that doesn't even care that much about NILs and all that stuff. So he, he wants to go where he can win and develop into an NBA player. Um, so uh, just switching gears to that. But uh, football-wise, we'll be all over the Virginia-Maryland pre-week or game week coverage. Um, you got the press conference today? Got the press conference this afternoon at 1 o'clock. We'll be – reporting multiple stories out of that, uh, including the health of Tony Musket and uh, other factoids. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the cell phone question uh, comes back up again. Um, I would imagine it would. Yeah, just, just stick to our website for all your UVA stuff and non-revenue stuff as well. We try to put up reports on that. We can't be everywhere, but we uh, we thank UVA for helping us out on, on those uh, releases so we can get the news out. Jerry Ratcliffe, guys, Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, 40 years plus of covering the Atlantic Coast Conference and UVA Athletics. Judah Wickhauer is the director, man behind the camera. Thank Our you, Judah hero. Wickhauer. Appreciate you, Judah. We got uh, one of the other very key components of the team under the desk right now. <laughs> That's Liza the dog. Liza's awesome. Liza's awesome. A rescue from caring for creatures in Fluvanna County. She's the mascot around here. She um, greets me every week when I come in. Uh, I'll tell you what. You can, you can learn a lot about somebody with how dogs respond to people. And it's every time Hootie Ratcliffe walks into the studio, Liza comes out from under the desk in, in her bed, wagging her tail, and gets excited for Hootie Ratcliffe's arrival. And I, love, I love dogs. Another thing you'll notice, how smart this dog is, as soon as we say we're off air, she comes out. Yeah. And she knows. That's, that's right. You're right. She, she knows, knows when the shows are over. She's it's a smart. Smart dog. Absolutely amazing. Check out jerryrackliff.com for everything UVA-related, guys. Thank you kindly for joining us. The show airs Tuesdays at 10.15 a.m. here on this network. Thank you, Hootie. Thank you. Our thank, pleasure. Thank you, viewers. Absolutely. Guys, you have a good uh, Tuesday, and we'll catch you in about 55 minutes on the I Love Seville show. Take care.
Excellent show. Thanks, Allison.